All right, so my name is Dan Vollmer, and I'm one of the elders here, and I'm really excited to be able to uh, bring to you part three of Liberation Day. And uh, not only am I excited that I get to share this with you, but, you know, I I love to be in church and for our church to take this kind of stuff seriously. For us to say, you know what, let's just clear some time, let's focus on this topic, and let's, um, you know, let's really help uh, understand these things better. So uh, excited for this, excited that it didn't snow today, and we could all be back together again in church. Um... If you're listening this morning, and as we talk about this stuff, as we talk about finances, you have kind of like this uh, little bit of angst, maybe, you know, because as we've talked about money, you're, you're, you're maybe not where you want to be in terms of your debt freedom and so forth. I'm just going to put it out there right now and tell you, I, I know what that is like, okay? So my wife, Rachel, and I, uh, we have been through some difficult financial times. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about our story when, uh, when we come to the end of our time today. But, but listen, I just want you to know up front, I know exactly where you are, and, and I understand what that's like. Uh, so, because we've been gone for a week, and uh, the series started a couple weeks ago, I want to give you a little recap, kind of catch you up to uh, where we are uh, today. So, week one of Liberation Day, we talked about debt. And we said that uh, God doesn't just want to free us from debt slavery. He wants to free us from money slavery. Okay, so uh, we talked about a couple of key myths. Number one, uh, the first myth was that uh, money is evil. Okay, money's not evil. Money is amoral. It's, uh, it's kind of our approach or our attitude towards money that sometimes creates a problem. Second myth we talked about is that God is against wealth. And that's not true either. God is not against wealth. God is against us being enslaved or, or enslaved to our uh, pursuit of money or wealth. Okay, that was week one. Now, week two, we talked about saving, and uh, we, we asked a couple of questions that week. Question number one was, what does the Bible say about saving? Well, the Bible says that we need to save up to be able to um, prepare for future obstacles, like that rainy day, that future rainy day. And the second thing we need to save up for is to be able to fund future opportunities. Things are going to come our way. We're going to be able to give to those things, so we need to, we need to save for that. And then the second question we asked was, does saving... Help me live out the gospel better? And the answer to that question is yes, because uh, here's why. It's very difficult for you to help uh, meet the needs of under-resourced people if you are one of the under-resourced people, okay? So where does that bring us? Uh, Brings us to part three and the last piece of this financial uh, series. Now, before I tell you uh, this last piece, I'm going to say a word. Before I say that word, I want us to think through something together, okay? Because when I say the word, like 95% of us are are likely to say, I get that. I I, I, I already do that. I'm, I'm, I'm already there. And so you would be kind of tempted to just check that box and then just check out. But here's the reality. In life, a lot of times we will credit, uh, we, we will take an instance of something, okay? We'll take an event or an action, something we have done, and we'll credit ourselves with having developed a full-on ability, okay? We'll say, I did that, and I, I, I am defined by that. I'll give you an example. Who here has been water skiing? Water skiing? Anybody? Water skiing? Okay, bunch of you, okay? I, too, have been water skiing. I went water skiing once. Um, actually, more to be fair, I put the skis on, and, and then I got in the water. <laughs> and uh, as I recall, there was a rope, <laughs> and it was attached to a boat. And so, yeah, pretty much I've been water skiing. But I am not a water skier <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. 
Okay, there are people who do this regularly, okay? They, 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 they practice, they get better and better at it. It is something that they love. And so it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a part of who they are, right? Same thing's true for runners, right? I, uh, I could, I could uh, right now just leave and run as, as far as I could get till I was tired. And that would be like down to the Kroger. <laughs> but that doesn't make me a runner, Okay, there are people who do this every day, and, and they practice at it, and it, it, it kind of, in a way, defines them. So God is not calling us to just occasionally put some money towards our debt when we feel like it. Okay, God's calling us to be debt-free. And God is not saying, hey, I think it'd be great if you save now and then, but God is calling us to, to be people who save. See, we can, we can settle for the occasional action. But God calls us to have the, the intrinsic value. He wants it to be elemental. He wants it to, to define us. He doesn't, he doesn't just want us to do, but he wants us to be these things. Okay. Quick parentheses. little pause. Pastor John said this two weeks ago, and uh, I think it bears repeating. And that is this. If you never become debt-free, if you, if you in one form or another carry debt your whole life, that, that is not in the slightest going to impact how God views you and how he loves you and how he pursues you. And if you don't save a penny, ever, that's not going to change God's, God's attitude towards you. He will still love you and, and, and care for you just as much. And if you never become uh, somebody who gives, somebody who is generous, then God's heart towards you will be unchanged. But if we are going to experience more of the life God has for us, if we are going to uh, live out what God has created, and everybody here has a, has a, God has a specific plan. He has, he has a desire for you. And if we're going to live in that, if we're going to experience that more and more, we're going to have to make our attitude towards our finances, towards our stuff, reflect God's attitude towards it. Okay? Because we can't, you can't really come to God and say, God, I want you to bless me, okay? I want you to, I want you to increase my influence. I want you to give me greater and greater opportunities. I want you to do that for me. And then at the same time, turn our back and say, I'm, not, I'm just going to uh, uh, behave towards uh, my stuff the way I want to and ignore God's teachings. Okay, parentheses is over. So what do we know so far? We know that God not, doesn't just want us to do, he wants us to be, okay? So God wants us to be debt-free. He wants it to define us. He wants us to be savers. And the last part of it is, is he wants us to be givers. And he wants us to be generous. He wants us to give to others. Now, remember what I said, fight the temptation to say, yeah, I already do that. Don't, don't, don't credit something you have done and, and say that you have developed that ability. Now, in order for us to do this, if we're going to do this, if we're going to value all three of these things, we're going to have to answer the question, why? Like, why, why, why does this matter? Why should I even care? Uh, we're going to answer some of those questions this morning. Okay, we're going to talk about a couple of reasons uh, from Scripture why uh, God has in mind for us to be givers. Um, so follow with me, if you will. Uh, we're going to turn first to Acts chapter 20. You can turn there in your Bible or in your Bible app. Uh, so Acts chapter 20. It's kind of towards the end of the book of Acts. And uh, in this, in this uh, section of the book, Paul 
is, uh, is traveling to Jerusalem. So he's on a boat and he's sailing for Jerusalem. And he kind of sails past this, uh, this city, Ephesus, uh, with a church that he helped start there. So he sails on by. He lands a couple towns up. And when he gets there, he calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus to come meet him. He's like, guys, come on up and meet with me. So the elders of the church come up. And uh, they come to meet with Paul. And uh, Paul is, is talking to them. And uh, he says, look, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Uh, I feel the Holy Spirit is leading me there, but he is warning me, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to face uh, hardships. I'm probably going to be imprisoned. And so this is kind of like the last time you're going to see me. So he's given him some warnings. He's given him some encouragement. And he's just kind of uh, building him up. And um, so in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he says this. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you've heard this a bunch of times. In fact, if you read that last verse in the message, it says, you are far happier giving than getting. And that's it. That's all he says. That's how he ends. After he says this, they pray over him. He gets on the ship. They all start crying and he leaves. He heads for Jerusalem where he's going to be imprisoned and he's never seen by these elders again. So, I have to think that if this is the last time Paul's going to see them, if this is the the last thing he's going to say, I mean, I really think he intends that uh, for this this statement, this this idea to carry more weight than a Christmas card, right? We we see this phrase a lot. We kind of discount it. Okay, so Paul is saying, look, I I want this idea to ring in your ears every time you think about me and you think about this meeting. So what is Paul saying? Why should we give? The first reason we should give is because it feels good. It feels good when you can give. And it feels bad when you can't. Now, I think everybody here knows this. We've all experienced this. In fact, if you're a a Christian here this morning, a better way to say this might be uh, when we give, it produces joy in us. So think with me. Take, Take all the typical giving occasions like Christmas and anniversaries and birthdays, Valentine's Day. Take all those typical giving occasions and set them aside for a moment. Think about an occasion where a need presented itself to you and you had the opportunity to meet that need. It felt good. It produced joy. See, the thing is, you never know when those occasions are going to come up. I mean, it's always a random thing. It's never something you can plan for. The only thing you can do is you can set aside some space in your finances and clear clear some margin there so that you are ready when the time arises. Now, if I said this morning, uh, here's $100. I'm going to give you $100. And when you leave, you just go out sometime this week. You find somebody that needs needs this money, and and you go ahead and you give it to them. All right, you'd be happy to do that. That would feel good. But, but it doesn't create the same kind of joy, the same kind of joy as when you take your hard-earned money, money that you have worked hard for, and then suddenly felt the tug of the Holy Spirit to give to somebody else. 
See, when you, when you experience that, that is what gives us the real joy. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's like, guys, listen, I'm leaving. Okay, you are, you're never going to see me again. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be in prison, probably going to be killed. So here's some warnings. Here's some encouragement. And oh, oh, final statement. Last thing I want to tell you. Remember this. You'll be far happier giving than getting. Let me talk for a minute, anybody who's here this morning, and maybe you have not yet quite decided about Jesus. Okay, so you're here. You don't know how you got here. Somebody invited you, and you came, or you drove by. And first off, I hope you hear this and know this. We are so glad you're here. I'm glad you came to spend an hour with us this morning. And, and we are okay that you would join us and still not maybe have decided yet about Jesus or about church. Here's the thing. You can experience this in your own life. This is not something you have to decide about Jesus in order to experience. Okay, I hope you do, and I hope that you'll, uh, that you'll keep coming and that you'll find us and ask us your questions, and I hope that, I hope that you will give your life to Jesus. But this particular, uh, this particular experience is not something that's uh, a particularly church thing. Uh, this, is, this is a human nature thing. The way God has wired us, the way he has created us like himself, that we experience joy when we can meet someone else's needs. So don't just do it now and then. Don't just do it periodically, but let's be givers. Okay, that's our first reason. Now, there's a second reason. It's an even more important reason. And uh, for that, we're going to go to another, bo- uh, another book that Paul has written. So Paul writes uh, this uh, book, 2 Corinthians. You can turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So in this book, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. Now, this church had made a commitment to Paul. They said, look, we're going to give you some money because we have some extra, and we want you to be able to disperse this around to some other churches that are struggling a little bit. So um, Paul sends Titus and this other guy, and they're going to get the money, and Paul is writing in in 2 Corinthians, and here's what he says. He's like, guys, listen, I have been telling everybody about this. Okay, you made this commitment. I've been telling everybody. I'm bragging on you a little bit. And uh, just so you know, uh, don't make me look bad, okay? <laughs> Everybody knows about this. Um, we're coming to collect the money. Now, this is not, again, money for Paul. This is money for him to use to disperse and give out to the other churches in the area. Okay, so Second Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 10 it says this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So there's our second reason. God gives to us and he wants us to be generous. And why? Reason number two, it is your responsibility. Now, a lot of us have seen this uh, post online, or maybe you've seen a poster somewhere, and it goes something like this. If you have um, if you have change in a jar on your nightstand, or if you have money in a bank account somewhere, uh, you're like in the, in the, in the, you're richer than 92% of the rest of the world. Okay, so in doing a little bit of research, I came across this, this website. This website is called globalrichlist.com. Okay, this is fascinating. You go to globalrichlist.com, you plug in uh, the this country you live in and your annual income, and it'll spit out some incredible statistics. Okay? If you live in America and you make $25,000 a year, you are in the richest 
uh, 2% of the world's population. And if you live in America and you make $50,000 a year, you are in the richest 0.31% of the entire world. Okay, so at $50,000 a year, listen to this, at 50000 you make about, uh, about 26 bucks an hour. So at $26 an hour, it takes you a minute to earn the money it requires to buy a can of Coke. 60 seconds of work, you can buy a can of Coke. The average worker in Indonesia has to work for two hours. The average worker in Zimbabwe makes only 53 cents an hour. Your monthly income, what you earn in a month at $50,000 a year, would pay the monthly salary of 224 doctors in Pakistan. And lastly, the average worker in Ghana has to work for 312 years to earn $50,000. You might not think you have much, but however much you have, however little you have, whatever it is, the bottom line is God has placed those resources in your hand. And you're responsible for them. So the question is, what are you doing with those resources? Because honestly, whether it's a lot or a little, it's, 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 it's kind of uh, irrelevant. Because Paul says that he will supply all of our needs. And he will enrich us so that we can be generous. And, and out of that generosity, we get to meet the needs of God's people. So, reason number two why we should be givers, it's our responsibility. So clear some space. Don't just do it now and then, but make it a goal that you will be defined by that. Lastly, if you're here this morning and maybe you're like, I, I get all this. I'm already doing that. This is not new information to you. Either you're debt-free or you're working off your debt, and you could honestly say, yeah, I save. I, 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 that's something I value. I do that. And now this morning, we're talking about giving, and you'd say, I do that too. I'm, I'm very intentional. I, I, I have a little bit of margin, and I'm, I'm ready to meet needs. So if that's you, what would be kind of your next step? What is, what is really the ultimate goal for all of us for why we should be generous? Let's go back to that letter. So in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 12, he says, again, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And there it is. The last reason why God has designed us to be givers is because it's our legacy. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you get this and you already, you already give, the chances are you probably do that. You approach your, your generosity with humility, right? You don't brag. You don't call attention to yourself. I mean, you understand. You get it. You understand that, that you have what you have partly because you have worked hard, but that's only part of it. The other half is that God has, has, has blessed you for, for reasons only known to him. So you understand that. So you hold, your, you hold your resources with an open hand, and you don't brag. And I think, I think that's wise. I think that's responsible. 
I think God is honored by that. But at the same time, in this letter, Paul is calling out this church. He is calling out this church in Corinth, and he is, he is uh, identifying them as being generous. Now, see, this was a public letter, all right? Now, Paul didn't know we are going to be talking about it this morning, but he did know that this letter was going to be passed around. It was going to be read out loud. Other believers in other churches across the area, they would get the chance to hear about, and they would be impacted by the generosity of the Corinthian church. So why would he do that? I mean, why would Paul make a public example of the Corinthian church? Well, it's right there. It's right there in verse 13. Verse 13, if we have it there, says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing. Others will praise God for their obedience and their generosity. So think about this. How would those others praise God for the Corinthian church's obedience and for their generosity if they never heard about it? Paul is calling them out because they don't give for their own glory. They give for the glory and honor of God, but they also give so that other believers will see and understand what it is to be a giver. So, if this is you, if I described you earlier, listen, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, you ought to you start up a newsletter about all of your philanthropic activities for us to read about. Um, not saying next Sunday you should come with copies of your tax returns. We can kind of flip through those and see what you've been giving and who you've been giving to. But I am suggesting that maybe you find a few people in your life, people that you can mentor and take under your wing. Uh, maybe people that you identify as walking the same road you've walked, and they're just a few steps behind you. Maybe you can bring them alongside you, and you can, you can share with them why you value being generous and why that is something that God calls us into. So that's your legacy. You give, not for your own glory, but for the honor and glory of God, but also so that other believers will see and will value that practice. Okay, so as we wrap up this series, I want to I go back over the past three weeks and I want to I summarize those things, give you the bottom line, and then I want to give you some, some steps that you can take. So in week one, we talked about, uh, talked about debt and how God frees us not just from debt slavery, but he frees us from money slavery. If you think about it, if, if all of your attention, if your, if your uh, energy and your focus and, and all of your angst goes towards your debt and just managing that debt, man, honestly, I think that's a pretty unstable position to be in. So step one is that we become stable. And this is what stability looks like. Stability is that we are financially liberated. We are liberated from debt. We are liberated from money slavery. And the first thing that I think would be great for you to do is to go to Financial Peace University. So you can go to brentwoodchurch.org slash FPU and you can sign up for uh, the next Financial Peace uh, University class. You really should do that. And this is going to help you understand why you're not just occasionally putting some money towards your debt when you feel like it. That's, that's something you do. Okay, but debt-free is something you, you are. That defines you. 
Then in week two, we talked about uh, saving. And so uh, saving is something, if you're already paying your debt down, if that's something you're focused on, maybe you can see a day coming down the road when, yeah, I'm going to be debt-free. That's, that's, that's happening. As you pursue that, you also need to start the practice of saving. Not just occasionally, not just now and then, but all the time. And if we, if we become savers, if we, if we do as God calls us to, then I think that step would be success. So here's what success looks like. Success means we're financially generational. Okay, we're looking towards the future. We're not just planning for today, but we're looking ahead because there are going to be future obstacles and there are going to be future opportunities. And the only way you can be ready for those is if you save. So two things you can do there is you can pray for some God-given dreams. Say, God, just, just place in my heart. Give, him, give, give me a vision for something in the future I can, be, I can be prepared and ready to give towards. Show me what you'd have me be setting this money aside for. And the second thing you can do is automate your savings. This is a great idea for everybody. Every time you get a paycheck, boom, some money goes into savings. And automatically, you are putting some money aside. And that's the quickest way that for you to be a saver. And the last step is, uh, is, is to become generous, to, to hold our resources with an open hand and to be ready and willing to give them. So if we understand this, we get this, we practice this, I think at that level we've become stable, we've had success, and now we are significant. Significance here means that we are financially generous. We are financially generous because it feels good, it produces joy, gives us joy but also because it's our responsibility and because it's our legacy. And listen, this doesn't mean that uh, you give randomly for, you know, when you feel like it. And, and then all of a sudden, one day, you're going to log into your bank account online and there will be a number and you'll go, oh, hey, there, it's enough. I have enough now. I can start, I can start giving. No, we're going to make this a practice. This is going to be something that defines us. So here's two things you can do to, uh, to put into practice. Number one, you can pay someone's way. And two, you can tithe for 90 days. So ushers are going to come forward and they're going to hand out these 90-day tithing challenge cards. And while they're doing that, I'm going to explain both of these and then I'm going to give you a specific, specific challenge. Okay, pay someone's way. So for the next 30 day, uh, 90 days, next three months, I want you to be thinking about and praying about and looking for an opportunity where you can pay someone's way. Okay. Now this can be something simple like you just pay someone's grocery bill. Uh, it could be something like uh, someone you know has a, a medical expense or, or their kids going off to camp. And so you just, you just want to give to that. Uh, may, maybe somebody here at Brentwood is going on a global field assignment. A good friend of yours is going, going on a mission trip. You want to be able to give to that. So here is my specific challenge, and I really want you to do this. I want you to take a specific amount of money. I want you to set it aside. I don't care however much it is, however much or little. You take money, take it out of your account and set it in an envelope. Open a, open a free checking account. Move a little bit of money over there. I promise you what will happen. When you move that money somewhere else, you're not going to look at it the same way. That's not going to be your money anymore. Over here is your money to use and spend however you need to and see fit. And over here is God's money for you to give away. That's how you're going to look at it. The second thing I'm going to challenge you to do is to tithe for 90 days. So here's how that works. If, uh, if you call Brentwood Church home and you don't currently give, just for the next three months, just say, all right, for the next three months, I'm just going to give something. That's fine. Start, start somewhere. 
And if you do that already, then let me encourage you to make that uh, a 10% tithe. And if you do that already, then my next and last encouragement would be that you consider automating your giving. You just make it automatic. Every time you get a paycheck, you're going you're to do that. Now, listen, we, we, we have said this a lot at Brentwood. We kind of come, come back to this phrase a lot, and that is, listen, we don't believe God wants something from us. Okay? We believe God has something for us. Okay? So just try this for the next 90 days. And if, if, if on May 31st, that's three months from today, if on May 31st you go, I don't feel any greater sense of God's provision. I don't feel it. I don't feel God's presence in my life anymore. If that happens and that's you, then you can stop. You can quit. But in Malachi, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God says, Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I won't throw open the floodgates and uh, floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessings than you can even contain. God says, right there in that verse, God's pretty much saying, I dare you. I dare you. Just try it. So you can fill these cards out, uh, and then you'll be able to bring them to the response stations at the end of our uh, service. You can give them to ushers as you head out and as you leave. Now, growing up as a kid, I had a great childhood. I really did. I had loving parents, awesome home life, one younger brother. It was, it was, it was a great upbringing. Uh, except for one thing. There was one thing I lacked in my childhood, and that was this. I did not learn to roller skate. Mm-hmm. You laugh. <laughs> it would be funny. So I never got skates. My parents never got me roller skates. And uh, so I remember, like, in junior high, pretty much everybody in junior high had a roller skating birthday party. And uh, there was this one skating rink we all went to, and it was kind of like the big oval. But ours, in the middle, there was, like, this whole section where you could just sit, like, if you're tired, like a pit stop area. And so for me, in junior high, I would, I would wait at the edge, and I'd wait for a break in the kids. You know, there's, like, 600 junior hires. And I would wait till there was a gap, and I would just kind of, like, ease out. And then I would sit down, and then I'd wait for a break, and I'd go back. I mean, because who, who is going to learn to roller skate at a junior high birthday party? Not me. Mm-mm. So as I stand here before you, God's blessed me, and, and, I, and I'm so grateful, but I do not know how to roller skate. Now, why would I even bother telling you that? Because when I think about roller skating, I'm tempted to believe that that is just... It's just something I can't do. It's not for me. I mean, I'm tempted to think that it's too late. And that is just something that I, I can't do it. Can't do it now. Now, if you're here this morning and you know how to roller skate, which is probably everybody, <laughs> you probably think that's nuts. Of course you could learn to roller skate. Yeah, you could learn it. Anybody can learn it. Now, granted, I'm older and I'm further from the ground. <laughs> Like my center of gravity isn't where it used to be, right? So I'm going to fall more, and I'm going to get hurt more, and I'm going to look stupid. It's going to take me longer. But I could learn to roller skate. Really, the only thing holding me back at this point is my belief that I just can't do that. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and as we've talked about being debt-free and giving and saving... Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, that sounds great. 
I agree. That sounds like a better life. I believe some people here will be able to do that, but that's not for me. Like I, just, I, I can't do that. Right? You're thinking about your current circumstances, thinking about your debt and your, the opportunities that lie before you. And as you look at all that, you're thinking, I cannot do that. So here's the good news. I have been where you are. I know exactly what that feels like. In, um, in my business, in my, in my occupation, I live on 100% commission. I don't, I don't earn a base salary at all. And that's fine. We, uh, we, we chose that road, my wife and I. We, we, we signed up for it. We know what that's about. We're, we're okay with it. But whereas a lot of people will budget, annual, uh, budget monthly, you know, you've got your monthly income, you've got your monthly budget. We can't do that, okay? So we budget annually. <laughs> we budget for an income that we have no guarantee of receiving. That's fine. So in middle to the end of 2008, I'm like two and a half years into my career, and uh, the real estate market, if you remember, completely falls apart. Completely. And my business got so quiet, phone didn't ring. Uh, and, and, and here I am, I'm, 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 a, I'm a sole provider for my family. I've got, a, I've got a, a wife, I've got a five-year-old son at the time. So I'm the sole provider for them. I go out and work every day. I work hard. I do everything I know how to do. But by myself, I wasn't going to overcome this national crisis. Just me, all by myself. So I'd go a month without a paycheck, two months, sometimes a little longer than that. No paycheck at all. Now, fortunately for us, we had some equity in our home. And so we took out a home equity line, home equity line of credit. And so every month, sometimes, you know, for three years on and off, for about three years on and off, we lived on that home equity line. We, we pretty much survived on borrowed money. So we paid our mortgage with the equity line, paid for our groceries sometimes with it. We paid the interest on the money we had borrowed on the equity line with the equity line. Okay? So listen, I know what it is like to dig a big hole and jump in and feel like it's getting deeper and deeper every day. Now, some of you might be there. Maybe, you, maybe you're in that scenario right now. And listen, I get it. That is a scary, scary position to be in. I remember it was, there is, there is fear and angst and stress that comes with feeling like you're in this hole and it is Closing in over top of you. I get it. Now, when things got to their worst, we could have believed, my wife and I, we could have believed that this, was what, this is what life has for us. This is, we are destined now to be saddled with debt forever. That's how it is. We could have believed that all of this stuff we've been talking about, being debt-free and giving and saving, all that sounds great for somebody else. That's not for us, not now. We can't do that now. But we did not believe that. We pretty much refused to give in to fear and doubt. Instead, we focused on the fact that we believed God was good and God was faithful. And whatever he, whatever he gave us, whatever he put in our hands, and it was not much, whatever was in our hands was our responsibility to manage wisely. So we always tithed, made sure that was a priority. In fact, uh, in, in one instance, we made a commitment to a building campaign at our church. And then we just 
We just prayed God would provide the resources to, to fulfill that commitment. And yeah, yeah, when we, when we tithe, that was just that much less that we could put towards our debt. And when we, we fulfilled our commitment to that building campaign, yeah, yeah, I mean, it meant we still had to continue to live on borrowed money. I'm not going to say it was easy, but we refused to give in to fear and doubt. And so we worked hard. It was hard work. It was years of, of diligence. It was years of applying the truth of the scripture we've talked about. But we slowly but surely climbed out of the hole. And as we did that, we always made tithing a priority. That was a non-negotiable for us. We were going to do that anyway. And today, we're out of the hole. We paid off all the money we borrowed on that equity line. We started immediately saving, and today we're, we're, we're ready. We're ready for the next rainy day. And we're, in fact, now we get to experience that joy of being able to fund future opportunities. So listen, if you're here this morning and you're like, I can't do that. That's not for me. Don't believe that, okay? Don't believe the lie that this is not for you, okay? I know the fear. I know, I know the stress and anxiety it produces, but as I stand here today, I can tell you that not only is it possible, possible is maybe. This is the life that God has for you to live. Okay, and I know I've given you like a little checklist. I know I've given you some things, some items to do. This is not about, this is not about a checklist. This is not about just making sure you do those things. This is, this is a life God has called us into. We, we, we want this for you because, because this is how... This is one way that we, can, that we can share the love of Christ. He has loved us. He is faithful to us. He is, he is faithful and true. And out of that faithfulness to us, we want to be able to, to share that and, to, and let others experience that and give them the gospel. So listen, I could be a roller skater, but you could be debt-free. And you could be a saver. You could be a giver so that God is honored and glorified in your life and others will experience him through you. Okay, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and our response stations are open. You can come forward. You can light a candle for someone if you need to or take, take communion if that's what you feel led to do or, or you can just come forward and pray. I'm going to encourage you to take advantage of that this morning. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Even in good times and bad, we, we, we know you are here. We know you. You hold us in your hand. Father, let us, let us see more of you. Let us experience you more. And give us the, 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 the desire, give us the, give us the dream, the vision to, to share you with others. And be faithful in that. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name.